I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Sam Monson here. No Steve Palazzolo. He's on a plane right now in mountain time. So throwback. Mike Renner, back on the PFF NFL Podcast. I'm back. Feels good. Feels yeah. good. I, I, no Steve, but I have a little more uh, little more stronger takes than Steve. Oh, nice. You're coming in hot. Yeah, yeah. Fence-sitting Steve was Fence-sitting never, Steve. never one for the strong takes. So all for it. You are PFF's draft expert. So let's let's start talking some draft. Um, I mean, the real thing I want to start with is like, what in your eyes are the big kind of storylines from this draft right now as we're what, a few weeks away from it? It's the same storyline every year. Not the same storyline every year, but it's the quarterbacks kind of dictate how a draft goes, in my opinion, right. every year. It's because that dictates trades, trade capital given up. That dictates, you know, what positions get pushed down. You know, I think that's going to be the biggest storyline. And to me, the interesting thing is you will not find a single – I haven't seen a single person go to bat really saying, you know, this is a fran- – like I'll stake my claim. This right. guy's a franchise guy. Like no one. There's no one going and saying, yes, this guy has the franchise ability. Like no one has gone out and been like, I'll take him number one overall for sure. But what might still go? Two might still go in the top ten when – no one, no independent evaluator has really said this is a top 10 player on my board. Like that's, that's the most, that's the interesting thing to me about this draft class is will that actually come to fruition or will it all be smoke? Teams will have learned lessons from past highly drafted quarterbacks, a lot of them in the past that have failed and say, hey, we can find quarterbacks through other, other avenues now. You could have gotten Matt Ryan for a third round pick just yeah. this year. So will teams start to, say that that's more likely and not have to invest that top pick in a quarterback. There is still this like prevailing opinion that, yeah, this is a bad quarterback draft. Nobody really likes any of these QBs, but one or two of them are going to go pretty high because mm-hmm. the teams that need quarterbacks, Carolina, I mean, what are your options, right? You need that's a quarterback, you got to take a quarterback, even if you don't think there's much of a chance of them panning out. So like, what I want to ask is, how bad is this quarterback class? Because the last, the last terrible one, right, was 2013. Yeah. Yes. Where EJ really. Manuel went, what, 15 overall was the first, 16 overall was the first quarterback taken. No and we didn't won. have one till 39, Gino. second round with Geno Smith. Uh, Mike Glennon, 73. So we had one in the first, one in the second. <laughs> Glennon was the third quarterback in the third round. Like that was a truly terrible yeah. quarterback draft. Where's it, this one? It's better than that. But I think the thing is, it's, it's actually normal in terms of total totality of guys who are going to end up getting drafted. Like it's not it's not sparse on talent in general. It's just sparse on top tier talent. Like there are probably going to be seven guys go before the end of day 3, which is right. You know, there are eight guys before the end of or excuse me day 2. There are eight guys before the end of day 2 last year. So in, in that realm, it, it has the same amount of like 
guys who are in that sort of territory of you think they could be starters. So if you think it'd be starters, that's probably where end of round three is where you would take one off the board. So it's not it's not shallow on talent. It's just none of that talent has impressed to the degree that we've seen before. We're do, we've been doing boards since 2016, 2016 NFL draft. The lowest we've had a quarterback on our board, top quarterback one was 10th, I believe, and that was 2017, and that was Mitch Trubisky. This year, it's going to be somewhere in the 20s. We're finalizing the board right now. That's where it's going to come off the board just because – and we pump up quarterbacks. We take positional right. value into account. It's just that's what these guys have put on tape. And it's such, it's such a weird thing, though, because, like, um, yeah – quarterbacks could go second or third round that's kind of where you would put them in a vacuum but we're in this weird world where it's almost binary now it's like this guy either has top end nfl ability in which case he needs to go in the top 10 somewhere or he just doesn't have he just can't do that in which case he's almost not worth drafting until you know way lower down because like you said we're the ability for you to get a quarterback that's some form of viable has never been easier Mm -hmm. you're no longer in a world where if you don't have one of like the top 20 quarterbacks you're starting some guy that literally has no business playing NFL snaps and can't be on the field and all this kind of thing. You can find those guys almost anywhere. It's now, well, how do we get a guy that can compete with Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow? And that's where you run into trouble with this draft because you're like, I mean, how how many of these guys even have that within their range of outcomes? Yeah. But but it is quarterback is kind of binary though, right? Like after the first round, over the past 15 years, you got Kirk Cousins, you got Derek Carr, and you got Dak Prescott. That's it. You know, th- those are your three guys to hang your hat on. And I don't think anyone's raving about any of those as top five to, you know, eight quarterbacks in the NFL that are these elite camp, like year on year talents that you consistently build around. Those guys are consistently, their teams are looking to upgrade elsewhere. They've been consistently by their respective fan bases trash. So it is a position where you can identify the top end talent. You can identify the traits that it takes to be an elite NFL quarterback more often than not NFL teams have. So yeah, I do think that that will then lead to quarterbacks drafted Highlands. I think we see four come off the board in the first round. Um, it's all related. We'll hit to a, we'll hit a bit of NFL quarterback news as well since it came up. But before that, I need to tell you about the, uh, the PFF NFL podcast being sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group, the, the plaque on the wall over there, title sponsor. Um, while you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning on starting a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. So big bit of quarterback news breaking today in the NFL. Derek Carr gets paid. Big extension worth over $40 million a year. That's the going rate now for, you know, a quarterback that you're buying into whose contract is coming up. So the Raiders have now kind of done a similar thing to Minnesota, similar, you know, they've they've decided that Derek Carr, the same way the Vikings have decided Kirk Cousins, is good enough. So we gotta pay him and we gotta try and win. Yeah. And this was one that Hello. Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. Just just a live show. Hey, Austin. Uh, this is one that the writing was on the wall when they made the trade for Devontae Adams. Right. So last year was contract. And it was kind of on the wall when Josh McDaniels took this job. You know, Josh McDaniels doesn't take a job like this after getting rumored for all these other jobs over the years in a division with Patrick Mahomes, in a division with Justin Herbert, unless he truly believes in Derek Carr. Particularly and, in this year. Yes. And, and his ability to run his offense, because this was the last year of his deal. So this kind of the writing was on the wall that this was going to happen right after, you know, he signed. So it, it 
I, I do think, yeah, going rate for quarterbacks in the NFL, you can argue he's overpaid or not. But, man, when he actually had weapons this past year, that team was competing. That team went toe-to-toe with, you know, Kansas City. And they, they went beat, to toe-to-toe with the AFC Power. So, they yeah. beat the Chargers. Yeah, so. Um, how good do you think he is? Oh, I hate this question. <laughs> how good do you think he is? I well, mean, the like, thing is, because somebody was talking about this earlier. Somebody, I saw a, a question on Twitter. It's like, Russell Wilson is, you know, what number quarterback in the NFL? Mm-hmm. Like, well, what's my time frame, right? Because with Wilson in particular, you can look at it and you say, well, there's, there's a run earlier in his career where he was somewhere in the top 10. Then there was that run of two, two and a half years where he was like top two or three. Mm-hmm. And then, then he took a step back and was probably somewhere in the middle. So where, where do I, what time frame are you giving me to say, where is Russell Wilson? If it's like right projecting this next season, where will he be? Um, I think this is the same thing with Derek Carr. Like his range of outcomes has kind of been all over the place. I would say generally, if you give him a good supporting cast and they're taking steps in that direction, he's borderline top 10, like just inside that somewhere, eight, yeah. nine. I would say the kind of, kind of how I've described it is like the eight to 12 range. Yeah. Is where he falls, where Kirk Cousins falls, where I even think like Matt Stafford falls. You know, and if you put Matt Stafford in a great situation like he was this year, you can get top five sort of production. If you put him in a situation like he played in Detroit, a lot of the years you'll get average quarterback production. So that's kind of then so split the difference on that. If you give him middling right. sort of like when Derek Carr, like I said, early in the year when he had Henry Ruggs and when he had actual weapons that were healthy on the outside. They were top five sort of production offensively now. So that's where I think he falls in that realm that he's not going to ele- ever elevate poor talent. I, I, I think he still needs a nice situation, but hell, like there's only four or five guys on the planet that yeah. don't need nice situations to succeed. So right. I, I think he falls firmly in that range. And that's the kind of quarterbacks that it's difficult to win when you pay him big. But we just saw the Rams do it. You know, like it, it gets you in the ballpark yearly and then you can maybe catch lightning in a bottle. I think that's now what teams have got to be trying to shoot for, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that these quarterbacks are capable of consistently elevating elite talent and you, you're definitely going to have problems surrounding them with the kind of supporting cast you can surround a Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert with while they're on that cheap contract. But it's like this guy will get us in the conversation and then you hope that you catch yeah. the high. You, you hope that they do a Joe Flacco yeah. and catch fire for four or five games, and that's all it needs. I mean, Stafford is is a good example, right? But we're going to sort of rewrite history because the Rams got it right and Stafford won the Super Bowl and all those kinds of things. Stafford was like the ninth graded quarterback in the NFL this season, yeah. in the regular season, and then in the playoffs he got better. And even in the playoffs, there was like Still. almost one throw a game where he tried to pitch it straight to the defense. Yeah, the Jaquaski tart drop. Right. So we're kind of rewriting history a little bit, but the point is you get to the to the show and then if you get the good end of that guy's play, now you're talking. Yeah, and also like if you get the good end of drafting, if all of a sudden you have a stretch where three years in a row you draft really well, you're you're in the mix. Like you, you're all of a sudden have a talented roster and everyone always says, oh, you need a perfect situation for guys like that. You need a perfect situation to win a super – like you don't, you don't right. win rosters with – or you don't win Super Bowls with vastly flawed <laughs> rosters. You know, you'd have to draft well to win a Super Bowl pretty much every that's wholesale. Every team has to do that. So to say, oh, you need to draft well to, you know, to win with a Derek Carr, that's everyone in the right. NFL. So I, I think I think it's worth paying those guys as much as, you know, maybe Eric Eaker and Austin Gale maybe not agree with us here at PFF. I still think that that matters. Getting yourself in the conversation matters. I, particularly with a team like the Raiders, right? Like you look at the offseason this year with Denver finding a quarterback with the Chargers in their situation with the Chiefs being perennial contenders as long as they have Mahomes. Like, what was their alternative? 
you, there, you can't even say like, oh, there's been an argument for years that the Vikings just need to hit reset, blow it up, get rid of Kirk Cousins, start over and try and find, you know, a great quarterback from somewhere. Just try and bottom out and then come back. But if like if you're none of those guys are going anywhere anytime soon. So if you're the Raiders, your your only option is to dump Derek Carr and then try and find somebody immediately better than Derek Carr from a crappy quarterback class in, yeah. you know, as a rookie or look to next year's after like hitting a guy that's immediately better than Derek Carr is a tiny target to be aiming for and probably completely unrealistic. So you, you just have to kind of suck it up and say, I mean, Derek Carr's good. Let's hope we can get great for five games. And also the life cycles of quarterbacks nowadays. And maybe, maybe Brady is obviously an outlier, but I think you can expect play into late 30s, right. you know, 36, 37, 38, which just by you know modern training methods that have evolved since past, like that's not unrealistic to... So if you have a guy like that, you know, you get a franchise quarterback, that's 15 years of a franchise, 10 to 15 years. So you expect about about eight to 10 more years out of a Derek Carr, which is not meaningless. It gives yeah. you a big window of just being good, competing. which as much as we, you know, always hammer home, oh, it's all about Super Bowls, all about Super Bowls, competing, part of, big part of winning Super Bowls is just being in the playoffs here right. and hoping for bounces to go your way. All right, so let's get to the top of the draft. No quarterbacks this year that we think are worthy. There's no that mm -hmm. number one overall guy that you see almost every year. So consequently, you get into this discussion of who's going to go number one. And it, when quarterbacks don't go number one, we default to edge rushers and offensive tackles. And for most of this, it felt like Aiden Hutchinson was pretty much locked in as number one overall. I've now seen a second like big media, quote unquote, mock draft that puts Trayvon Walker Number one overall. Can you make any sense out of this madness for me? No, I can't. I truly can't, <laughs> honestly, because yes, it's about projection. Yes, it's about what guys could become, and and that's great. And Trayvon Walker could be elite in five years. I, I'm not saying he won't be. I'm saying I know Aiden Hutchinson is good right now, and I'm also saying I know Aiden Hutchinson is an elite athlete for the edge rushing position. That's the thing that makes no sense to me, right? I can kind of see an argument to put Trayvon Walker ahead of a bunch of people that were more productive than yeah. him, right? Whether it's Jermaine Johnson, whether it's Carl Loftus, whoever it is, right? There's a lot of people that I will at least entertain the argument that this guy is such a freaky athlete, mm -hmm. you can forgive a lot and put him above in terms of projection. Yeah. I can even kind of see that argument for Thibodeau based more off the where there's smoke, there's fire, off-field stuff, motivation, whatever it is. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, I can get why you would do that, yeah. right? Um, there is, I just don't even see the argument to put him over Hutchinson because it's not like Hutchinson's a bad athlete. Yeah. Hutchinson is a freaky athlete as well. It boils down to one guy's got long arms and the other guy doesn't, Yes, which seems like insane reason to say, well, okay, none of that production that he had in college is going to translate to the next level because his arms are a bit shorter than you want. Yeah. And Hutchinson is a better athlete than the Bosa brothers. Right. You, you know, like guys who went two and three uh, and were considered, you know, elite prospects in the can't miss-ish tier – Hutchinson's a better athlete than those guys. It, so, yeah, it, an, almost an inch shorter arms than both of those guys, sure. But big hands, and he's produced at a level that those guys didn't even produce at in college. So, and, and even though he's a senior, he is only, I believe, six months older than Trayvon Walker. So he is not that much. Right. Uh, he's not 23 years old coming out. He is uh, still 21, I believe, on draft day. That's the, it just, that's the one that I can't understand why anybody would entertain that because not only are you projecting that hey he's going to be elite at some point you're, you're sort of mm -hmm. you're offsetting all of the production difference 
but you're also trying to do it against an athlete that's also elite. It doesn't make any sense to me. It feels like Hutchinson seems to recently be getting this thing that certainly Joey Bosa got. Yes, yeah. Bo- Joey was kind of getting hated on for always oh, not top five pick tools. But it, no, yeah, it, it was, was almost surprising like, when the Chargers drafted. Right. It was more like, well, he's maxed out. Like mm-hmm. this is as good as he's going to get. Yeah. Like, but this is really good. Like <laughs> he's already a Pro Bowl caliber player. Yeah. If that's as good as he ever gets, that's still worth drafting him in the top five. What What is our problem here? Yeah. And it, when you're sort of looking at that draft, the problem is there was no freaky toolsy alternative to like go well what about this guy mm-hmm. like this guy may be maxed out over here as a pro bowler but over here we have this guy who's got all pro level vertical jump and you know three cone and well there was none of those guys right it would be like it would have involved inflating like yannick and Gakwe from like the middle of the second round up to that kind of level but because you have a trayvon walker it feels like that's just where the the deflection is going we're, we're getting bored with hutchinson because we're We've just talked about how good he is and how clean as a prospect he is. And all we can do is sort of say, yeah, but 32-inch arms. Yeah. So all the sort of deflected attention is now going to Trayvon Walker, who has the freaky tools and blew up the combine. And we can at least sort of look at the Georgia tape and go, yeah, well, he wasn't always played on the edge. And there are reasons that his production wasn't as good as you think. So let's just say that this guy is superstar. Yeah, I I, I will say the only reason I could think of, if, if like put me in – in Trent Balky's shoes. Now, Trent Balky trying to get inside his mind, not something I'm going to attempt to do. But just put me as a Jaguar GM. Why would I? Why would there be smoke? Why would I allow smoke for Trayvon Walker to be number one overall? I need more picks. I have a bad roster. Yeah. Uh, number one overall pick, paying an edge rusher. Yeah, I think Aiden Hutchinson's a great prospect, but one Aiden Hutchinson doesn't turn me into anything overnight. I, I need wide receivers for Trevor Lawrence. I need offensive help too. So I might not even, and I just drafted an edge rusher two years ago in the first round three years ago in the first round too, or was it four years ago? Whatever. Josh Allen and uh, uh, the LSU guy whose name's Kaylon Chason. Kaylon Chason. You have a couple guys installed there. Maybe you don't even want edge. So that could be the only thing I'm thinking of is trying to induce a trade to number one overall saying, oh, you know, we're really high on this guy. Maybe, oh, if you want Aiden Hutchinson, come and get him is the only thing I can think of. But But doesn't that work if you just like pick up the phone? (laughs) Yeah. Like, couldn't you just call every other team or, you know, I don't know how those things work, but put the feelers out and be yeah. like, hey, we'd be willing to move off this pick mm-hmm. for this guy. Yeah, we right? really like we Trayvon. Like, yeah, we like both these guys. If you want to make an offer, we're listening. Yeah. I, I, don't, where... I don't understand why you would need to do that instead of cloak and dagger, you know, media smokescreen stuff. Like, just tell everybody. I'm trying to make sense of it here, Sam. I, I <laughs> no, no clue. I... The, th- the funny thing is, like, you put on his tape, and it's like, there are, one thing I will say is that it there's something to the idea that that Georgia defense didn't put him in, you know, it, it, he didn't yes. have the same role yes, as those yes, other yes, guys, yes. right? And that definitely didn't help him get the kind of pass rushing production that other players ha- have gotten this draft. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it doesn't get you all the way there. Like, you can carve it down and find subset of plays where he isn't playing the run first, and he isn't setting a hard edge, and he isn't lined mm-hmm. up inside the tackle and all these kinds of things. And he is legitimately just trying to rush around the edge and doesn't, just doesn't get there. His, his best highlights are legitimately in coverage. Yeah. It's a pass breakup. Honestly, it's not, not untrue. <laughs> he has a pass breakup or it's one's a pass breakup against Florida. One's covering a wheel route against, um, was it Auburn? And then one is actually chasing down Bryce Young, I believe in the, was it the SC championship game or the, Maybe national championship game. One of those two. Those are his highlights. Right. They are not come beating offensive linemen one on one. Even Rashawn Gary, who's gotten, 
who he's gotten comp to because Rashawn Gary was this yeah. size speed freak athlete with long arms that you projected to the edge. Rashawn Gary had reps where it was like, oh wow, that was it. You know, a bull he had like a bull rush against a Nebraska tackle that was just jaw dropping. That's like, oh, if he could do this every time, he would win. I haven't seen those Trayvon Walk. Those don't. Those haven't happened. I've yet. rarely seen a player. So you know. PFF Ultimate, there's all kinds of ways of like chopping up the tape and getting kind of quick access to various things. And one of the ways it's generally not a good way of watching players because you just see the good plays <laughs> yeah. is using, you know, like pressures really or key plays or whatever it is, right? You dial up those. I can't remember a like a high-end prospect whose like impressive play reel is so unimpressive. Yeah. yeah. Usually you dial up those guys and you're like, oh, this guy's a superstar. And then you watch the bad and you're like, okay, wait, wait, dial it back. I, yeah. I jumped the gun there. But you put up his plays, and it's not. I, I'm not even excited by them. Well, if this is like half of his pressures come from him legitimately playing the run first, and then like converting it to just long arming and trying to drive a guy back into the quarterback, I'm like, well, this is fine. But like, where there's no pressure. Yeah, I, I think um, Austin Gale put this well on tailgate the other day. He said once you reach kind of the elite tier of athlete, separating in that tier, you're you're doing it wrong. Like there's there's no real higher end. Once you get to, you know, Trayvon Walker's level of tools versus you know, Aiden Hutchinson's or Kayvon Thibodeau's or some of the other guys in this class that are, you know, in that elite tier of athlete, it doesn't give him a higher ceiling than these other guys. Right. You, you know, it just says that he can test better than those other guys. So there's also, it, like, big it other ignores, aspects of the game that just... It ignores so many of these guys that were incredible athletes and not good football players. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like we haven't seen somebody with freaky workout numbers before come yep. along and bomb out of the NFL. Like th some people are literally making this argument like, oh, if you test this good, you can't, you can't be bad. Like yeah. you can't fail. There's no way. Yeah. But we've seen it a yeah. lot. Like it's happened quite a bit. Yeah. And Ben Stockwell made this point to me yesterday or whatever. It's like, you know, if Danell Hunter's another guy he's getting comp to a lot in terms mm -hmm. of freaky athlete, has the tools, the size. Okay, he's got 20 pounds on Hunter, but... And Hunter was another guy who just didn't have the pressure, the college production, but he's become a great NFL player. So that's a guy a lot of people are holding up and saying, yeah, Walker's the next Denell yeah. Hunter. But Denell Hunter went in the third round. Mm -hmm. like we're not, that wasn't the guy anybody was talking about as the number one overall pick. Yeah. And even Rashawn Gary, he wasn't a top 10 pick. Like that's the range I see I would draft Trayvon Walker. Right. Is, you know, late teens. When, not to say there's can't miss guys at the top of the draft, but you can draft guys who are, Productive on a football field, elite athletes with elite tools to project to the NFL. It's like you want all of the boxes ticked, right? Exactly. So you can tick half of the boxes with Trayvon Walker and project the other half, mm -hmm. or you can take a guy like Aiden Hutchinson who ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Like, I, I literally don't understand the argument that would take the guy with half the boxes missing yeah. and project that you're going to tick the other boxes later on down the line. What I want to know, though, is how has Georgia had an all-time defense? And I get that they won the national championship. Game. Yeah. They're not going to argue too much. But they have they have the amount of first round talent that's on, was on that team in that front seven is insane. And one of those guys that we're not even talking about is Adam Anderson because of the rape charge he had. But like they had six or seven guys in that front seven that are either first or second round talents that to be playing them to be saying, hey, play within the scheme. At some point, you gotta just be like, these guys can all win one on ones consistently. Just, let just them let just them do go. whatever they want. Yeah, like, like we'll, we're gonna play the Lawrence Taylor defense and say, yeah. do whatever the hell you want. You are so yeah. good. I mean, that's like what Ohio State does. Like if they would have, if this roster would have been on Ohio State and the, their scheme of what they do, my Lord, that would have been a lot more fun to watch. I have two questions about that. Well, not even, one is not even a question. Mm -hmm. One is, 
I mean, whatever about the defense having this many so just first round talents for like quality yeah. players, NFL players, the fact that they've all shown up and been like top, not you know, ninety plus Elite percentile athletes, athletes as well. Yeah. Not Except only are they Kendrick. insane players, but they're yeah. all freakish athletes. Yeah, that feels crazy to me. Well, and except Deion Kendrick, who ran a slower 40 than Jordan Davis, which he was the cornerback. Yes. So that was tough. Um, and we always hear this conversation of like, you know, if the worst team in the NFL played Alabama in a given year, would yeah. they win, right? And to my, my default answer, my stock answer to that is always no, they would get waxed by like 30 points. This defense, but is that defense legitimately like if that defense, if you had that defense versus, you know, the Texans last year, it's probably not far off. Don't say the Texans. Texans weren't that bad of an offense. We, we, the defense. Oh, versus the Texans defense. Okay. Um, yeah. Honestly, like that was the most talented, at least the front seven. And now cornerback, there was probably their weakest position on the defense. And both their starters will probably still be drafted. Yeah. But the front seven was the best front seven I've seen in college football. I mean, their front seven is legitimately an NFL front seven. Yes. Oh, yes. Like even if you project in like failure rate, right? Yeah. Some of these guys are not going to be amazing NFL players, but even that, like some, you know, NFL players and starting defenses in the NFL aren't NFL caliber players. They had Jermaine Johnson had to transfer to yeah. play to see and the field. He had to, yeah, transfer just to get the opportunity to show that he was a first round caliber yeah. player. Yeah. It's, and then the best player, arguably, on the defense is even eligible this year. Yeah. The Jalen Carter, DT, is going to be a top 10 pick next year. Right. And Nolan Walker was a, the number one overall prospect over Kayvon Thibodeau in that defense and might be the freakiest athlete on that defense, probably around like the four fours as a defensive end. <laughs> and I would not even talk about him because he <laughs> didn't come out this year. <laughs> the defense is insane. Yeah. Um, all right. The, the next thing I want to talk about, I, it seems that this year there's a lot of talk about all of these top offensive tackle prospects and how good they could be at guard. Is that just a thing that's happening more now, or is this a weird group of players? Because I've even seen it with like Evan Neal. That dude's built like a tight end. Yeah, that was the was the Bruce Feldman article. Them t saying, yeah, they should move to guard. And I, I think it's actually just more indicative that this tackle class, as much as it's getting hyped up, is not as good as the. I, I wouldn't put any guy above any of the two tackles last year at the top, Sewell or Rayshon Slater. Okay, I wouldn't put any of these guys above. The three tackles I had at the top back in 2020, which was Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, and Jedrick Wills. I think they're all a clear below those guys. So they're not elite, elite prospects to tackle position. It's just more indicative. There's no high-end guys in this class that you're seeing them go top five, top ten. Other years, they would have not been in that mix or just been a little bit lower down because they are flawed, I will say. They're right. not, they're not, they haven't pass protected the level that any of those guys have. So it feels like this entire draft class is just like lacking top 10 players. Yeah. Like across the board. If, I mean, somebody asked this a while ago that like if Kyle Pitts was in this draft class, would he be number one overall as a tight end? He could. Right. Especially with the Jaguars picking, they probably right. would. <laughs> um, but that, like across the board, that seems to be the story of this draft class. There's a lot of talent, there's a lot of depth, but none of it is in the top 10. Like we're reaching on all of these guys yeah, to, to, to stock the top five anyway. I, I think Aiden Hutchinson's a little bit better a prospect than that, I'll say. I think that's doing him a disservice. I think he's a clear number one and like is number one worthy or, you know, top three worthy. But I think he's the only guy who's going to finish, you know, in the draft guide with what well, we have a top five grade on. Right. Like everyone else is kind of borderline top 10 sort of players that every other years, you know, especially last year when it was an insane amount of talent. We had Micah Parsons going 12th. And become like the best defense player in the NFL immediately. Um, I, I think these guys would all like Kayvon Thibodeau, the you know Kyle Hamilton's, the 
uh, Trayvon Walker's would have been like in the teens last year. Right. Does that change if you're like a random NFL GM? Does th- does this kind of draft change how you would approach? Certainly, if you're drafting in the top 15, like if you're looking at these guys and you're saying, okay, there's only a couple of these players that are top five legitimate type of talents. Every everybody else is some form of reach. It feels like when when the NFL gets into that situation, they get really conservative and they go for like edge rushers and offensive tackles because they believe those are the safest picks. Yeah. But is like that the year where you should actually chase potential and upside, however you define that? Like a guy that has his bus rate might be higher, that it's more of a boom or bust situation, but at least the potential is there for him to be something better than this. Well, I think we're, that's what we're seeing with the quarterback class, getting mocked. Yeah. Two guys in the top 10 consistently now. It's because it's like you're not passing up you know, Chase Young to draft Malik Wills. You're not passing up uh, these, you know, you're not passing up Miles Garrett to draft Kenny Pickett. You're passing up a guy who could be, you know, an above average edge, but like they're chasing a little bit higher end. So I do think that is impact decision making. But if I was the run of mill GM, all I'd be doing is begging guys to trade up for me. <laughs> like, just give me yeah. more picks in this draft because I love the depth. I think once you get to and there's teams that the, really the, need those. Yeah, picks. there's once you get to the third round, there are guys who are going to be available who probably are like early second round grades in the PFF draft board because it is deep and it is deep at positions that um, are valuable in my opinion. So I, I do think that this is the year to that. If you have more picks, you are thinking your lucky stars. Um, I want to touch on that a bit. we got an email question about that exact topic, but first uh, we're going to tell everybody about the sale we're running 50% off PFF elite. That's the biggest discount you're going to find yeah. throughout the year. Draft 50 is the promo code, D-R-A-F-T 50, five zero. Uh, that'll get you 50% off PFF Elite Annual Subscription. 365 days of access. You can get all of PFF's locked article content, the draft guide. In fact, if you get a year of access, you'll get two different two draft, draft guides. guides for the price of one. Um, completely unlocked mock draft simulator. That thing is absolutely cooking. People love that. Data and grades from all the uh, the 2021 season, the upcoming 2022 season. All of our previous seasons as well. They don't go anywhere. You got access to all of it, all the betting tools, everything you want. That's promo code DRAFT50 for 50% off a PFF Elite Annual subscription. Also, today is the launch day for Hutch, the four-part podcast series with Aiden Hutchinson, telling you all about his backstory, his college career. Big shout out to Austin Gale from Tailgate for uh, hosting that, for Dave Solfaro for putting it all together, for the video guys there. Uh, The show includes interviews with Jim Harbaugh, Current and former Michigan football players, key members of Aiden's family, media members. You were on it, right? You got you, did you get interviewed with this? Did not. You didn't. Sadly. Oh no. man. Didn't I just Mike. Even though I was the first person to mock him number one overall wow. and put him number one on the board. But you know it's just disrespect. Recognizing talent, it gets gets no respect nowadays. Maybe you should set up your own podcast. <laughs> um anyway, check out Hutch this today, April 13th, this first day. They're all out or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Um, all right, where's this email? We had, uh, okay, here we go. Been listening for about a year. This one's from Dan Shepard. I love the pod. have a few questions that I haven't heard addressed anywhere until I get your thoughts. The NFL draft in 2021 had a shallower than usual pool of talent with many players taking advantage of the option to redshirt an additional year because of COVID. Many believe that this talent pool in the 2022 draft would therefore be much deeper. Uh, And I recall teams being less amenable to trading into the future or trading into the previous draft because of the the, the disparity in depth. Uh, it seems to me that this player staying an additional year 
would have the effect of raising the overall talent level at the NCAA level in 2021, thereby making it somewhat more difficult for the elite talents to really stand out on film the way they would in a normal year. In that sense, shouldn't the combine pro day scores carry more weight than they would in a typical draft as the eye test might be clouded by the raised level of competition at the college level? Thanks, Shep. Uh, so the first part of that is that kind of plays into what you were talking about, right? With this being a very deep draft, maybe yeah. absent of these top end players, but a deep draft certainly relative to the last year, simply because of the volume of guys that are in it. Mm -hmm. I think actually, if we're talking about eye test getting skewed, it was 2020 when there weren't fans is when the eye test got skewed because okay. that impacted defenses so much. It impacted basically how you know, quarterbacks and quarterback performance all time sort of years from a lot of guys. So I think that one really skewed the eye test this year. It was a lot older. Like you just look at the class, the amount of 20 guys who will be 24 as rookies, whether it's, you know, Kenny Pickett, whether it's Devontae Wyatt, like some top guys are a lot older than years past. So it is an old class because of that. And that probably does do what you're saying, right? Yeah. Which is raise the raise level of play at the college. The question is, what impact does that have on potentially elite players? Yeah. I I do think there are fewer elite players, though, this year. I, just random happenstance yeah. so that there are fewer elite players, but then there's more depth because of it. You just have more guys who would have made that decision to come out last year, like especially the Pac-12, uh, some conferences that didn't play, yeah, yeah. you know, full schedules. A lot of those guys just said, you know, I'm not going to come out. I didn't do shit this year. <laughs> like right. it's going to, I'm not going to get drafted highly when I didn't put anything on tape. So you see a lot of guys came back to school that probably would have not done so in years past. So yeah, I think it's just deeper. I think I just checked here, 56 guys with first or second round grades, which is pretty high. Like usually you're looking around 20 per Per 21st rounders, 22nd rounders, usually um, on the PFF draft board this year, almost identically matches the amount of picks. How much do you think that, how much do you think NFL teams are going to sort of factor in that kind of stuff? Because NFL, like a lot of draft people hate age. If you're old, you're yeah. just, you're dead to NFL people. They don't care. They're not, they're not interested. They're looking for young guys with upside, the potential mm -hmm. to project out. And if you're 24, if you're old, you were seen as almost cheating the system because you go back and you're just bigger and more physically developed. It's like I watched this thing years ago that was a documentary on like like some like Macillan or whatever, some Ohio football powerhouse okay. where there was like a thing where parents would make their kids stay back a year, right? So that they would be like 19 when they were in the Classic. senior year and just beat the crap out of these yeah. like kids who were way younger than them, win state championships, you know, celebrate because that was like, that was it. It works. Right. Oh, shit, it does. So... It feels like that's the way the NFL treats guys that are 24 or whatever. You yeah. just get dinged because you were you were seen as almost cheating it. Yeah, and to a degree, it's true. You know, it's what I like to say is if you need the physical advantage, you have to discern whether a guy needs the physical advantage to win or not. You know, and a lot of times when a guy's produced freshman sophomore years, you hold weight in that and you value that because they don't have the inbuilt physical advantage when they're performing. You know, they're not the man amongst boys. They're the boy amongst boy amongst men. And once you get to the NFL, you're not going to be the man amongst boys. You're going to be the boy amongst men. So I do think that that is something that, you know, outsiders media doesn't talk about a ton, but that definitely is getting brought up in draft rooms. That's definitely going to play out come draft day that a lot of the older prospects probably just going to get go lower than you would expect. Does that maybe expect? Does that kind of present an opportunity for those guys? Are they going to get undervalued? Are they going to be value at this point because... I mean, it's not like they're – it almost feels like they're sort of 
hey, we've given them this great deal. Mm -hmm. You can go back to school, you know, COVID thing, yeah. forget it, we'll just pretend it didn't count. But now they're going to get dinged for it by the NFL, who just, they've almost, I don't know if they've forgotten the COVID thing or if they just don't care. And it's like, well, to us, you're just an older player now. I, I don't know. That, that one's tough. I, mean, I think it's just a case-by-case -case basis at that point. It's some guys, they will factor in some guys, they won't really care. Like if, especially like offensive line, do you want a guy who's further along in his development? Probably with how, with how difficult the learning curve we've seen at that position where you're three, you're four is when a lot of times the light switch goes on. If you can get even a guy who's average earlier on, that's so, val so much more valuable. So I do think along like positions like that, it might not be as big a deal, but maybe older corners, older wide receivers, the NFL is going to look elsewhere. Um, I want to talk about the wide receivers for a bit because they they it's an interesting group this year and we differ a little bit. Um, thought your your latest big board is moving them around a touch. You're going to end up putting this is going to be the final big board. This one, correct. You're going to end up putting Jamison Williams wide receiver one. one. I and like that. I don't have him number one myself, but I like it. And it's regardless of the ACL. So with no ACL, I don't think it's really would have been a conversation. Um, to me, he's a better prospect than Henry Ruggs, if we're yeah. if we're doing the pantheon of Alabama fast wide receivers. Right. Better prospect than Henry Ruggs, not as good as Jalen Waddell, somewhere right in the middle. That's yeah. kind of this entire top of the wide receiver class. I don't think any of these guys are touching the top three from last year. I think they're a clear tier below. That doesn't mean they have nothing to offer, though, because we saw sure. literally all of those guys dominate year one. So that's a high bar to set. But Jameson Williams, just the speed and the ability to control the speed and having more than just speed yeah is why i think he's the best to me the comp in the draft guide is longer deshaun jackson that's the kind of game he plays where it's whatever gear he needs to get to he gets to and yeah he's skinny yeah he's uh probably going to be a one-ish trick pony at the nfl level he's going to be your deep guy you want to run run a slant and get open and look elsewhere but that trick's pretty damn valuable and He's very, very, very good at it. And like I said, he can vary his speed, and he can also have a little bit enough shake to just keep himself clean and not really worry about the fact that he's a pretty skinny wide receiver. That, that's what I love the most about him was he had a few sort of little nuances and details and savvy to his game yeah. that he doesn't need to have learned because he's so freaking fast. Like yeah. that guy, certainly at that level, he's a player that legitimately could have just lined up every play and relied mm -hmm. on the fact that I'm faster than you, I'm going to run past you. But there's a bunch of plays where you can see him like playing with a cornerback's blind spot and like winning in ways that slower players win because you need to because yeah. you're not fast. The fact that he's learned those and has like understanding of that stuff with zero need to have learned that mm -hmm. I think is impressive. Well, I think he had to learn it because he wanted to see the fuck football. You know, <laughs> like he wasn't seeing the field at Ohio State and people are not using that as a knock against him. I think it made him refine his game and not just say, oh, I. I'm not, if I'm not going to see the field, I better like focus and get the finer points down to try to be able to see the field. And people are trying to hold that against them as if Olave and Wilson aren't like first rounders right. themselves. That once, you know, once the job is won by a guy who's going to be a first yeah, you're rounder, you're not going to unseat him. You're not to bench a first rounder, right. you know, for Jameson Williams. So no knocks on him for that, in my opinion, whatsoever. And, and then once he goes to Alabama, like it was lights out down the stretch. He was a game changer. They don't get to the national championship without him. And obviously it changed the game when he got hurt. They, yeah. they were going on track to win that game before he tore his ACL. Yeah. Um, how much, like to me, an ACL at this point, certainly for receivers, I, I keep, I don't, I haven't found a better term than routine injury, but it feels like a routine injury at this point. Like guys tear an ACL, they come back, they're the, they're the same. So 
They will be the same, I would say. I think you've seen guys who first year back. Yeah, not necessarily not like quite, day one, yeah. but it's not it's not the kind of thing where like that guy's changed. But it's like, yeah, he's exactly. not the same player. It's, it's a rarity that that's the case. I yeah, like, and yet you, Jameson Williams, George Pickens, these guys with ACLs in mm-hmm. this draft, it feels like we're un, we're completely overlooking them because of that. Yeah. Well, Pickens is a different animal because you know he missed a whole year. Sure. That, that's that's just like a little different. That his tape was good prior. But not so good that it's just, oh, we don't care that he missed a whole year. No, he we need to see a little bit more development from him. I, I trust that he'll get there. I I do think that you know what he's done already is borderline first round caliber. But James Williams, like we saw the top end that is already NFL projectable. So Garrett Wilson, Ohio State, would be the guy that I have number one. Got um, and actually, I'm almost contradicting myself here because. I have him number one because it feels like just the cleanest compromise of everything. Like he's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? The thing I that I've almost mean. criticized at the at other positions of sort of the safety that he's just getting on the fairway thing. He's just good at everything. Mm-hmm. And maybe he's never going to be special at anything, but the stuff that he's good at translates. So he, at the very minimum, he's going to be a good player. At the I, next level. Yeah. I go back and forth on him though, because he's 183 pounds, yeah. you know, before Devonte Smith, yeah, if Devontae Smith didn't exist, take him out of the conversation entirely. If that never a whole conversation didn't happen last year, we would be talking about that a lot more. Sure. You know, but yeah. like once Devontae Smith comes in one seventy, right. once, once like, you move the line <laughs> yeah. to one sixty six, it's a different conversation. Post got moved so far that like Garrett Wilson's on like the five yard line already. So like he's still good, but I, I do think that that's my biggest worry with Garrett Wilson at the next level is he is skinny. He does have play strength concerns, but in terms of just like talent, like the theoretical talent I, I think he's the most talented wide receiver in this class it feels like sometimes though those guys the 180 pound guys they're just good enough that you never really mention it like ty hilton right mm-hmm. yeah ty hilton went like a decade before i realized he was 180 pounds mm-hmm. and it's because you just never cared right who it didn't matter ever yeah. so nobody ever mentioned it um and there was like there's a whole bunch of those guys that i discovered last year when looking for small Skinny. players yeah. because of the Devonte smith thing and it's like, it, uh, sometimes I think if a guy is legit, you just don't, it just doesn't matter that they're 180. Yeah. And, and the, that's why they're like the 40 was big for him at the combine because you know, you're not going to, you're 180 and a bad athlete. That's different than 180 and elite athlete. Yeah. You know, it's, a, you forgive it when you're the elite athlete, like T.Y. Hilton was, like Tyler Lockett was, like the guys who are surviving, Brandon Cooks at that size in the NFL. Yeah. Like if you're losing something in terms of size, weights, whatever, you need to offset it somewhere. Like mm-hmm. you can't just be, down on that particular area relative to everybody else. That's that was my um my thing with Calvin Austin, right? Like if you're gonna be that size, whatever he is, five seven, hundred and five seven, one seventy. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. if you're gonna be that size, you had absolutely better be in the ninety-fifth percentile at everything else. Yes. Athletic a- athletically. Otherwise you have no shot. Yeah. You can offset that kind of size. That's like my worry with Wandale Robinson, who now we're getting like deep in the class, the Kentucky wide receiver. He has, you know, the shortest wingspan I think ever measured for a wide receiver that would have like started that will play snaps in the NFL. And he was good athlete, but not great. Right. And that's how I felt about Tutu Atwell last year and a lot some of the other guys that got drafted that are in this gadget mold. But if you're in the gadget mold, you better be a better athlete than literally every guy you're going across from. Um, all right. Drake London. Drake London is the one that I that's given me the most okay. problems. I think in this draft class because a lot of people he's I would say most is most people's number one receiver uh, a broad 
group of people's number one wide receiver, mm-hmm. however you want to put it. A lot of people have him as a number one guy. You had him number one right up until this change. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, I've got him at number five. Oh, let's hear your, let's hear what do, who you got ahead of him. So uh, I had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, one, two. Mm-hmm. Jameson Williams, number three. George Pickens is the guy that I have above. Love George Drake Pickens. London. Um, and then London five, Sky Moore six. Okay. I, I don't, I'm not going to say no. Like, if right. It's a if weird group, right? Because I can, I, I've sort of had these, like, mm-hmm. these are my five or my six or whatever. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of other rankings. And I'm like, I don't hate that. Like, I don't, I'm not hammering the table being like, that guy's an idiot. That's yeah. 100% wrong. The only one where I think it's kind of crazy is Chris Sims having neither of the Ohio State guys in his top five. That, I think, is taking it a little far. But generally, this group, it's like I can see a lot of different Love Chris arrangements of these top fives yeah. that make sense to me. Yes. The thing about London that I would go to bat for is he can get off the line of scrimmage. He can, he has good releases against press coverage. And why do a lot of bigger wide receivers not look like themselves in the NFL? Or why do they fail? It's because they can't avoid contact. Like when you're that big, you just think about it on a basketball court, how it's easy for a point guard who's six foot tall to drive past you. It is not easy for a power forward to drive you know, to the hole. Like that's why those guys, are the LeBron Jameses are rare because – it's not a lot of guys at that size. Once he gets taller, you lose the flexibility, you lose the suddenness to be able to do that. To me, Drake London has that. What he doesn't have is speed. Now, is he slower than Cooper Cup, who ran a 4.62? Is he slower than Michael Thomas, who ran a 4.59? Possibly, but that's kind of the receiver you're getting. Yeah. And I think that's a tried and true past success. And I think Cooper Cup's success this past season and the proliferation, obviously, of that offense around the NFL now is going to put more guys in that slot, option role, focal point of the offense where they have two-way goes a lot of the times. All they need to do is make create that ounce of separation, and then they have good enough ball skills, good enough after-the-catch ability that you can just consistently rely upon them. To me, that is Drake London. That, that's the role he's going to fill in the offense. He's not going to be you – know, he could be an outside wide receiver, but if you're pigeonholing him as that, I think you're doing it wrong. To me, that's his best fit is that focal point over the middle guy that – is just going to win consistently on the underneath intermediate route tree and have good enough ball skills that you're not going to worry about, you know, drops and like missed opportunities in that realm. And the only worry about that is when you're talking about a guy that's like number one wide receiver in the draft, yeah. everybody has in their head the picture of that X wide yeah. receiver. Jamar Chase. That, yeah. Jamar Chase was like. The guy that plays on the outside, the Julio Jones, Jamar Chase, the guy that wins on the outside uh, on his own against press coverage down the sideline. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? But that... That almost doesn't describe anybody in this draft class. Correct. That's why That's why I think this draft class is getting a little gassed a little too much. Like the closest one to that for my money is George Pickens. That's why to you right. say George Pickens top five, I'm not going to disagree. He actually, that's the skill set he has that could actually I, be I, at the like, NFL level. A lot of, I've been sending him to Green Bay a ton. At that the, that in, one in makes Fox. sense also because Green Bay loves the blocking wide receivers and he do blocks his ass off. They, they love that. And they also, they now need that guy, right? Mm-hmm. They Yes. Okay, if you give them whoever, one of these other receivers, it doesn't fill that role. Sure, it's not like they don't need them. They need everything. But they've just traded away the alpha, that the dude that goes and wins everywhere, all positions down the sideline. If You kind of need to replace that skill set. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, then you replace a lot of skill sets. They have the worst receiving core in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, of course. They need, <laughs> like I said, they need everything. And if they double yeah. dipped in the first round, it wouldn't be a bad idea. But like, but that specifically is a thing that they've lost now that you need to replace. And that's not an easy thing to replace in this draft class when you're looking at it and you're saying, I mean, I like these receivers, mm-hmm. but there's not many guys that have that. And that's the thing that everybody's chasing. Yeah. Um, so then Traylon Burks is another weird 
receiver to me because I was shocked that he ran as badly as he did. Me and too. Badly is might be the wrong term because it's actually in like an average time for a dude that size. Yes. But badly relative to what I thought he would run. Like I thought that guy could break four four flat. Yeah. And then he runs what four five five. Four, five, six, whatever. And also these four, five, five, and these were like gassed up combine numbers this year. I don't sure. know what it was. I mean, it was a new hand timer this year. Well, then he stood on it, right? He was and like, then, no, I didn't even want yes. to try and get better. And, and then he didn't even try a pro day, pro day yeah. which if you're not trying to improve on a four, five, five at a pro day, it means you've not clocked faster than four, six. <laughs> yeah, it means you're happy then. with that. Like, like That's no? a great time for me. So, I'm not even taking a shot at it. Yeah, so that was concerning. And then the all-around athleticism, it's like you can forgive slowness, if that's the term, um, if the guy's like, you know, 11 foot broad jump, it's 40 right. inch vertical. And he wasn't, you know, he was middling numbers across the board, Yeah, which you stood next to him. He, he's not, he's not an AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, 225. No, he's a little bit of a beefy 225. He, he's more of like tight with, with a history <laughs> of like, you know, not necessarily the best weight, you know? Yeah. So he's interesting. And I've ever like called him an athletic project from like his tape and be an athletic project, though, you better be athletic. <laughs> you said so. I, I'm lower on him generally. I love the ball skills, love him after the catch, but I, I love Lavisca Chenault's ball skills and his after the catch ability. It's just a tough if you can't if you can't run routes or haven't run routes, and he really has not run routes. That's that's the thing. It's like it, so if you're going to be that type of like for it made sense in college, right? Because mm -hmm. you have this guy who was at least at that level an athletic freak and a giant playmaker and you just get the ball in his hands. And they did a really good job of doing that. Like yeah. generally offenses suck at, oh, we've got this special athlete, let's get the ball in his hands. Like it's, oh, we give him wildcat carries and we give him, you know, smoke routes and bubble screens yeah. and that's it. There's there's zero creativity there. They moved him everywhere. Like that yes. dude was lining up a tight end in the backfield, a quarterback, everywhere. Um, they did a really good job of getting the ball in his hands. But is an NFL team going to do that? Probably not, right? No. So if, and the only way they would is if that guy was like the most freakish athletic testing, you know, receiver that ever come through the combine. Yeah. If that guy ran like a 4'2", you know, 225, had numbers off the, like then you might start, okay, we need to, we need to create a package for this dude. Yeah. But if he's just like middling athlete who beat up on college competition and has never really done any conventional wide receiver things, mm -hmm. what does that look like in an offense? I think it looks like. LaVisca Chanel, which is the, which is the word, you know, like it's it just, and I even thought LaVisca was a little bit more dynamic with the ball in his hands. And he did have bro more broken tackles at Colorado than Traylon did. So I, I just worry that's, it's not been, you know, you love the production and a lot yeah. of people go, you know, we'll point to that young production focal point. Yeah. He's focal point, but like it's focal point. Cause Arkansas is Arkansas. They didn't have anyone else, you know, his focal point. Would he been the focal point in Alabama? Right. Hell no. You know, like he would not be getting those screen touches at Alabama the way he did there. It is like it because when I was when I started watching through his tape, I'm like, wow, this quarterback is kind of terrible. I'm like for him to get the grade that he got given that bad a quarterback mm -hmm. or that kind of bad a quarterback play is actually really hard to do in our system. Like you, you almost need a certain volume of like targets that are just where they should be. If you'd have any shot of being that productive and yeah. that grading that well. For him to get like 90 plus grades with that kind of quarterback play was actually really impressive. At some point, like that is worth something. Yeah. It's just but all it, of a sudden we've got a lot of question marks. Again, it's where are you valuing it? Right. Mm -hmm. It's and I hate I always hate the kind of conversation around the NFL draft because if people were calling Traylon Burks 
a fifth rounder, yeah, I'd be yeah. going out all as positives. Yeah, start, you know? like sleeper of the draft. Exactly. I'd be like, oh, like this guy's catch radius is insane. Yeah. Like he's got mitts. Like there, there's a lot to like about him. But it's just the valuations, like where you value that. Well, I just think the guys in his sort of mold of wide receiver have had struggles early on in their careers in the NFL and have had role concerns to where yeah. you're then valuing it as day two. You now need help. Like when yeah. you're that type of player, you're relying on a team having a plan yeah. for how to use you. Yeah. Whereas if you're a Garrett Wilson or a Chris Olave yeah. or one of these other guys, your NFL role is much more defined and you yeah. fit into a lot more offenses just off the peg. Yeah. And he's, I mean, as a route runner, he's far closer to, I keep going back to the old Miss one, because he's been comp to both DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. But he can run like, he can run a go, he can run a slant, he can run a hitch. Like, that's what DK Metcalf was coming out. Right. DK ran a 4 3 3. Yeah. Taylor ran 4 5 5. You know, are you going to stack an NFL corner with a 4 5 5? Not the way DK does, you know, not the way he did at Arkansas. And that's the worry with, you know, that's the whole debate we're having here. A lot of questions about any team that picks up Traylon Burks. The only true qu guaranteed quality pickup this season, though, is Manscaped. God damn, I thought that was going to be so smooth, and then I butchered it. I stumbled into it. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub-4340. This is not going well. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, because of their ceramic blade and skin safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. In the season of trimming the roster, Manscaped will make sure you're cutting the right players and not any important pieces to your D. Look, fellas, don't fall off her draft board. The ladies out there think that long nose hair is a major turnoff. And I've been pointing out, I don't think that's specific to the ladies. Like that long nose hair is a freakish thing and shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> you need to fix it. That's not a woman specific problem here. The Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer is your solution. Why not use the best tools for the job? April is draft season, but it's also Testicular Cancer Awareness Month. Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant into a first-round pick with Manscaped. I will say that read went better than the ones on tailgate because I got roped into shaving Austin's nipples on the tailgate read. Wow. So this one, I at least didn't get roped into How much that hair too. was involved in shaving the nipples? Well, I'm not, I haven't done it yet, but oh. I'm going to do it in time. Have and, you seen what you're working with? This is uh, yeah, it's not good. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's going to be probably a 10 to 15-minute process to clip those things. So yeah, I mean, no that, this is going to be live during a read? Or just uh, like yes, on the it's side of the podcast. Yeah. Okay, nice. That's, I mean, that's worth watching. It's off season content. It's, it is. It's <laughs> off season content. Um, are there any, who are the wide receivers beyond those sort of first guys that you think are, have some sneaky? Oh, you know where I'm going with this. This guy Moore. <laughs> I don't even think he's beyond the first guys. I think he deserves a conversation with inside the first guys. I think okay. he's going to be wide receiver five on the PFF final draft. Board, Does he barring debates. Have you got a comp first guy Moore? Sky Moore. Austin's comp was. Austin comps are all terrible. I hate Golden Tate. And, and I like that from like a size perspective. They're similarly tooled, but I, he has little longer arms, bigger hands. I, I think he's just a touch more dynamic of a route runner than Golden Tate was uh, coming out of Notre Dame, where he was kind of raw. He was kind of like there. He was kind of there, Traylon Burks back when he came out of Notre Dame. He was there, just get the screen ball into his right. hands and let him work. So I don't have a great comp for him, but he's 
to me, he's kind of a seamless role guy. I think he can win the outside. I think he can win from the slot. He's short, but he has really long arms, really big hands, big catch radius, and just very much an ascending player who only started playing wide receiver when he got to Western Michigan. He started out as quarterback uh, when he got, got recruited there. Flips to wide receiver, and out of the rest is history. I, I just think he's a guy that is going to be good in the NFL. How good? I, I don't yeah. know, but... He reminds me a little bit of Julian Edelman with like slightly better tools across the board. Okay. Just like a little bit more to work with almost everywhere. But see, see the draft guy. That, that kind of player, right? The guy that yeah. just has great footwork. Julian Edelman is draft guy. Nails. There you go. There you go. <laughs> We're on the same page. Like tough as nails, can mm-hmm. win outside as much as Julian Edelman get kind of pegged as that, you know, Wes Welker slot air. The dude actually played outside quite yes. a lot and won. Um, yeah, like Sky Moore. And it's exactly so. There's a really like interesting conversation we had. A guy called uh, Dylan Busby sent us an email that was a big long kind of thing about the Edelman line. We've talked about you know the Matt Ryan inflection point, like quarterbacks above Matt Ryan uh-huh. are where you want to be, and if you're not there, you probably need to start over and try and find someone above that line. And he was sort of talking about Hall of Famers and the Julian Edelman line, and if you're above that, you're a Hall of Famer. If you're not, you're not. Um, but I think there's a kind of fascinating conversation to be had with. Julian Edelman generally, and what that does to like draft ra- draft position and where you draft these guys, because in particularly in this class with a weird group of wide receivers, very low on like X wide receiver skill set, but a bunch of different types of players and different roles and stuff. And it's like if you if you were redrafting, you know, young Julian Edelman today in this draft, knowing what you know now borderline hall of fame or wherever you put him on that scale like that's definitely worth the first round pick yeah but knowing like if you were coming at this without knowing the guy he would become you'd be like no way nowhere near mm-hmm. like he's the mid-rounder somewhere mm-hmm. right even if you like even if you knew a little bit more about his wide receiver skills as opposed to a quarterback from kent state or whatever it was like so what i'm saying is there's still this disconnect between like we're not valuing these guys that are our role players but maybe don't have that x receiver skill set as high as we should, given what they can become. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it comes back to they have to become that to then provide value or else like the, like the margins are slimmer that make, for guys it, in that skill set. Isn't that sort of true for, or are you saying that like if an X wide receiver prospect doesn't, can't do that, he can still become the Z or whatever. Yeah, like the, the fallback for a guy like that is still probably going to be a pretty good slot receiver. Whereas once you're, once you start taking things off of what a guy can do. And I, would, I wouldn't even throw Sky Moore into that conversation. I think he could do more than just, you know, be your slot receiver sure. in an offense. But, like, once you start taking things off a guy's plate of what he's capable of doing, that all of a sudden decreases, you know, potential value at the next level. So I, I, I do agree from the NFL's perspective of, you know, if I have a guy that I have to fit into one role, I don't always want to use that role. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't always want to have to have that role in my offense. So, yeah, I do think that there is a conversation – about that, that I can see the NFL's perspective, but yes, when you do have elite talents in certain roles, well, that's why sometimes still should be measured. Yeah, that's why sometimes the like the wide receiver conversation in particular and the rankings is mm-hmm. a little weird because, like, you know, th- there are players here that don't fit in every offense, mm-hmm. and there are players here, or you know, th- this yeah. team needs a wide receiver, so they're just going to take the next best wide receiver on the board. It's like, yeah, but they don't need that one. Like that's yeah. not the skill set they're chasing right now. Yeah, like they're going to go for somebody else in this board, and if they have to move over three more wide receivers on the consensus board to get to the next mm-hmm. guy with the skill set that like fits what they're looking for. 
that's the ranking they have. Yeah. And that's the thing that like as an outsider, I, I always almost lament where it's like there are guys in this that I rank on draft board. That I don't even I, I wouldn't want to necessarily draft. You, you know, like if I'm ideally in my head building this team, I wouldn't even want that role or whatever he's gonna fill on my team. So like, you know, it, theoretically, right. like guys are getting taken off draft boards who are just not gonna fit what they do. And that's fine, or not fit the profile they want, and that's fine. And they get to do that. But I, I do think that that's um who was I gonna mention here? Jalen Petrie is the one guy I would really highlight for that this year. He is a slot cornerback, the Baylor slot cornerback. He's not a safety. He's not an outside cornerback. He's a slot cornerback. That's not going to be like a team, a, a role that everyone covets. But I think he's so elite in it that I don't think it really matters. And I think it's almost made him, may make him more valuable because it can allow you to do other stuff. So I do think that there's a conversation to be had around those type of guys who maybe they have to fill one role. But if they're so good at it that they might even be more valuable because of it. A lot of people. So a lot of people are just because he played in that. There's also that thing in college, right, where there are specific roles that don't really exist mm -hmm. at the next level, and you have to project right. them to something, right? Because yeah. the thing that he does at college is not that does it's not there. Yeah, like Jeremiah was Carmelo did the same. Yeah, or well, Fred Warner, right, where they Fred played Warner. that yep. overhang linebacker kind of split the hybrid linebacker cornerback thing is pretty big in college, mm -hmm. but doesn't really exist still in the NFL. So those guys generally you got to project somewhere and they're almost like that one is relatively easy because you're just calling them like coverage linebackers. But Petrie's another one that has this, this kind of weird role where people are projecting him generally just as a safety now. So why do you think he's just a, or not just, why do you think he's a slot corner specifically as opposed to a safety that can, that has some slot corner? Well, I think he's skills. so good at it and I don't think you want him, you know, like the difference is obviously we haven't seen him play elsewhere, but, He's so good underneath with so limited experience, like 16 snaps, I think, as an actual deep player that just play him there, just continue to play him there. And that's a role that's existing more in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, particularly today, you know, the nickel defense, nickel dime defense, sub-package defense yeah. is 75% of snaps at least. Mm -hmm. With some teams, it's 90 yeah. plus. Like you're, that guy, the he isn't just quote unquote a slot like that dude is a starter that dude is playing yeah. almost all of your snaps on defense you don't have to worry about the other plays mm -hmm. because they're such a tiny proportion of your defense and, and he's the guy who can actually play the run from the slot you know a lot of slot corners we talk about oh he has to move to the slot because he's 5'9 180 right you know he's never gonna <laughs> be physical enough to hand on the outside well is he physical enough then to play the run in the slot because that's huge for a lot of defenses so he's actually you know better than most linebackers in this class at playing the run and so you don't have to leave nickel defense and that's why i say it might be more valuable because they allow you to do different they allow you to change your defense entirely because of his skill set is there anybody in this class who who you completely change your opinion on or dramatically moved based on the workout stuff based off the workout numbers Ooh, workouts um, I, I will say, I mean, it dropped Jalen Burks because of the workouts. Right. I think you're much more willing to say that off of guys who work out poorly. Um, because a lot of times when a guy is an elite athlete, you, you better see it on tape. You, right. you know, so like Troy Anderson, the Montana State linebacker, was the best testing linebacker in this class. You saw it. You know, like if you, if you watched him at all, you saw it. So if you're going and watching him, uh, or like Christian Watkins from North Dakota State, you saw it. So if you're going and seeing the combine and then be like, oh, wow, push him up even more, I think you're doing that wrong. Yeah, Steve it's, always talks about double counting, yeah. right? You're just, you're counting the same thing twice. <laughs> like it's not, it's not a new piece of information. It's the same thing you already knew. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't artificially inflate it just because you saw it again. Yeah. The biggest dropper, I will say, I think there's two, two massive droppers. One, 
was Daniel Falale. I don't know if you've seen his testing numbers. I haven't actually. What did he end up doing? Disgusting. <laughs> let me go. Let me pull. <laughs> were they? Were they? How? Where are they in relation to Orlando Brown? Worse. Worse. That here. You and this was pro day number. So he actually had a good because that was one of my favorite tweets ever. Was that Orlando Brown had the worst combine in yeah. history, including over Maurice Hurst, who got sent home with a heart condition. Like that was how bad Orlando yeah. Brown's workouts so, were. So Falale had a five six forty. I mean, he never was going to be fast. He had the worst 10 split in tackle history, <laughs> 2.04 seconds. <laughs> Two seconds for the 10. He had an 8.473 cone, a oh, 5.06 no. short shuttle, a 7.10 broad jump, 20, only 24 bench press reps in the 30-inch vertical, which the vertical is very good for a guy that size. Everything else stinks. He just can't move. Yeah. And like at that point, one either has to like lose 50 pounds or it just you have no recourse. It's not like Orlando Brown who – was an elite college tackle. Right. He played at a high level already. Yeah. Just and then gets the NFL worked and worked out like ass. He's not played follies. Build his project. You build his project, you better be able to move. You know, you better have the traits to work. That's not it. So he dropped. He's out well outside the top 100. I don't even, I wouldn't, would not take him before like the fifth. Um, and then Majay Sanders was the other guy and has just, even if the rumors are true or whatever that he, was sick before the combine, which I've also heard that is just a cover up to right. uh, him being. I mean, that would be the first thing I would say. Exactly, if it worked out terribly. He came in at like two thirty and runs a four six seven for a guy who's again Bill's an athletic freak, but he came in like a wide receiver and ran like a slow, slow wide receiver. Thirty three inch vertical, ten foot broad, four three seven shuttle, like twenty bench rest reps was just not did not come in like a high end athlete, and, and so. For that to be the case, and then he stood on those numbers as pro day. Didn't work out the pro day, so that's that's that, that's always like a massive red flag. Again, like if you're yeah. going to a pro day or like I'm not trying to improve these numbers, the only thing you can take from that is you think those numbers are as good as you can do. Yes. If those numbers stink, I mean that just, it just it says everything. Right? So those were probably the three guys who Burks didn't drop a ton, right? But Foley did Sanders. Dropped a good deal as well. Um, the one other position I want to talk about is cornerback. Because it feels like everybody, the longer we go, is dropping Derek Stingley. And cooling on him, you know, I think at this point, Sauce Gardner has become the consensus number mm-hmm. one corner at this stage. And he's a guy I think that probably did help the stock, right, at the combine. When My biggest question, I think a lot of big, people's biggest questions for him before that was, Okay, this is all nice. Length's great. The numbers are fantastic. The performance is great. Is he that fast? And then like four, four flat. Yeah. Pretty much answers that resoundingly, right? So and, and you ask that because truthfully, you don't see him right. have to do it on tape. Like he's not in a role where he's really tracking downfield without touching a guy. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so I think he's a lot of people's number one corner now, but the hate on on Derek Stingley seems to be getting like more and more intense. But if anything, you are like solidifying, you know, support. For, for yeah. Derek Stingley. I, I think he's a freak. He, he His pro day numbers. So he 4'4", 6.983 cone, 39-inch vertical, 10-2 broad jump, like good pro day numbers. And he didn't even look like he was trying. He looked like he didn't prepare at all. And, and also, obviously he had the foot. That's why he couldn't work out the combine. That's why he missed second half of last year. And so maybe he didn't prepare a ton. But to do what he did athletically – while looking like he wasn't caring was to me, I'll say more impressive than a lot of these other guys workout numbers, even if the numbers themselves weren't that good. Cause like he casually just jumps. Like he, yeah. he doesn't like have a gather on right. either his vertical or his broad jump and just 
Flies. It looked like a guy who'd done it for the first time ever. You know, when you sort of yes. tell somebody generally how you're supposed to do yeah, it. Yeah, here's a here's a right. vertical jump. Go ahead and just touch the highest one. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's what like, all right. And you just and then and then you explain the technique and what yeah. you're supposed to do and how there's like supposed to be a swing and all this kind of stuff. So maybe that's a touch of a red flag. Who knows? But I, I do think that Stingley is one heck of an athlete. That shows on tape. His ball skills are as good as you'll see from a cornerback. I mean, his breaks on footballs and just the way he tracks in the air is. He looks like a wide receiver, and I love the clip that NFL Network tweeted about him about practice footage against Jamar Chase because he's just getting in Jamar Chase, like in practice, a elite NFL wide receiver giving him fits that, to me, that's a skill set that doesn't doesn't usually last past the top three to five picks in any other draft or with a normal sort of profile of a guy coming out of college. If he just that's what he put on tape um, and didn't have the injuries, didn't have the effort concerns. So I, I'm going to buy into the talent there with Derek Stingley because it's off the charts. Mike. As an aside, I can't think of too many players that have specifically been affected by one dude more than Jamar Chase. Like Jamar Chase, I'm pretty sure tanked Trayvon Diggs' draft stock by a round. <laughs> yeah. Just that one game yeah. on its own, I think, tanked his draft stock. Like it could help could like keep Derek Stingley's afloat. Also, like the one thing that I've seen, people that love Roger McCreary, one of the biggest things you'll see is like that dude did pretty well against Jamar Chase a couple of yeah. years ago. And if he did that two years ago against Jamar Chase, that's probably something you should look at. <laughs> um, even with his tiny little arms, like yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty important data point, right? Uh, so what do you make, explain to me your thought process with Derek Stingley's career with this like best coverage grade, you know, insane numbers when he was a freshman in 2019 and then hasn't, we haven't seen that guy since. Yeah, I, I obviously teams started to go away from him in year two. He was not nearly targeted as much. He was shied away from. Um, and then he had, he had an ankle injury that year and a foot injury this past season to where I think that's probably the bigger thing yeah. is back-to-back -back years, back-to-back -back hampering injuries that are to your lower extremities that, you know, are very important to playing the position. Your feet are your lifeblood at the cornerback position. So I think that might be more of why the NFL is low on him than any sort of effort or bad tape concerns that he put out there. Because I don't think his tape is honestly that bad. Like you just, you did see him grow, it, I would say lackluster, lack of days goes where I'm looking for in some games when he's just not being involved because of the scheme there at LSU. But that wasn't like, keep going back to that, wasn't a just Stingley problem. They had a Ed Orgeron problem of, <laughs> Not a lot of people being locked in for games the past couple of years. Did you see, I think it might have been that Feldman article again, where a an opposing coach was talking about Sauce Gardner and mm. they just didn't throw at him. And the, the opposing coach said something along the lines of, yeah, we uh, we weren't even going to challenge him. So we put some slapdick receiver out there all game and just didn't throw there all game. Yeah, Pretty sure that guy can work out who that is. Like if that receiver really wants to, he can go look at yeah. the guy's like, you know, data. There, there weren't that many games where they literally didn't throw at Sauce Gardner's direction and figure out, oh, I'm slapdick. I will say my first thought was Brian Kelly. Just I don't know why, but slapdick seems like an insult, he would say. <laughs> and about his own player, too. Obviously, we know Brian <laughs> Kelly over the years. I was just reading that. I was like, that receiver, some guy's going to read that and be like, Oh, that was me. <laughs> like I was, I was slapdick. Yeah, spent the whole game just doing nothing out there. I'll be getting shut down by Sauce Gardner. Poor dude. You don't want to read that in an uh, article from your old coach. Um, and then the one more corner I think that's worth talking about is Trent McDuffie, uh, because he's the guy. 
this whole draft process is all about ticking boxes, like we said before, right? And the, the measurables and all those kinds of things, whether they raise red flags or whether they start to drop you over. McDuffie's the guy whose tape is phenomenal, but just isn't built like you want a cornerback to be built. He doesn't look like Sauce Gardner. 29 so, three-quarters inch arms. Yeah. Big number. Right. He's relatively short. He looks small. Like when you turn on the mm -hmm. tape, sometimes guys look tiny. He looks short. Yeah. He looks tiny. He's got short arms. Like none of the measurables in terms of a physical bill that you want to see from a prototypical modern corner. But his tape is nuts. Tape's fantastic. And the only worry, I don't see worry, but like he's not played press man the way Ahmad Gardner's played press man the way Derek Stingley's played press man. So that's the other sort of knock on him. But super intelligent player, credible athlete, the, the smoothest probably corner in this draft class, physical despite his size limitations and a great tackler like I think he's a safe pick in certain schemes. Like pretty much every Vic Fangio, DC yeah. proliferation that exists out there, he would be excellent in. So, which is like the coverage which, in vogue. Which at the exactly? Moment. Which honestly, more teams are running that than nowadays than what you know Ahmad Gardner would be ideal. In, right. Despite you know Ahmad Gardner's probably skill set being rarer in the grand scheme of things. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think this top end of this cornerback class fantastic. I, I would. I would strongly consider them in the top 10 before I'm drafting like the edges in this class, truthfully, because I think there'll be edge talent in the second round, as weird as that is to say, and as infrequently as that occurs, but I don't think there's going to be cornerback talent in the second round the way there is at the top of the draft. It feels like that conversation should be had more at the moment. Like, why, why are we not drafting Derek Stingley, Sauce Gardner, McDuffie in the top 10 like in the top 10 consistently and not just not just the top 10 the top five like why are these guys yeah. not in a draft class that doesn't have these can't miss superstar yeah. project like prospects why are we not talking about these guys that can a and are at some of the most important positions oh i mean i keep going back to detroit should draft Ahmad gardner probably because that would give you akuda and gardner would give you the longest cornerback duo in the nfl i believe at least the wingspan wise in the NFL. And then the Falcons should draft Derek Stingley to pair him with AJ Terrell. You have that two man corners that are like do it all man corners. Like that, the slot. that is that's like tailor made for today's NFL. You raise the floor of your defense so much by drafting those guys. Whereas one edge rusher um in this class, like they're a little bit more of a project, in my opinion. And they're also like one edge rusher only does you so much, especially if you're the Falcons, you need like three guys along that defensive line yeah so why not take more shots at it and why not get your secondary in down pat first and then you can blitz and do whatever to gain pressure when you have man corners like that in the back end yeah I, I think i don't understand why that's not a scenario that's being talked about more even if you're not you know even if you don't think the nfl team's going to do it mm -hmm. it feels like something that should be getting pushed more as a conversation point and saying like this is where the strength of this top 10 is it's actually in these corners that have shown insane potential or high-end play and have the tools to get it all done. It's not like it's not like talking up a project in Trayvon Walker and trying to project where he can be somewhere yeah. down the line if he He's, learns how to rush the pass. Exactly. How, how much better would you feel next year if you had Sauce Gardner versus Trayvon Walker? Yeah. Like as, a, as just about your defense. Right, right which now, guy is like likely to be better? In a, in a vacuum. How be much better? You're just a fan of any NFL team almost. Who do you feel better about next year? I would say the team that drafts Sauce Gardner, honestly. All right, Mike, thanks very much for uh, returning to the PFF yeah, NFL podcast. Stand in while Steve drags his ass to the West Coast somewhere. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to have Trevor Sikama on tomorrow, and we'll, we'll talk some more draft stuff. Send us emails, as always, or tweets. 
to the uh, official account. I'm sure Tyler there will pop up the little graphic at PFF NFL pod is the Twitter account. NFL podcast at PFF.com is the email. And uh, we're on we're on TikTok there, even though I haven't actually posted anything for a while. Uh, so, you know, follow us in all those places and send us emails, suggestions, topic ideas, whatever it is you want to hear us talk. Uh, and let us know if you like Mike on the show, because I'm sure some people do. Yeah, we get right. emails every now and again. You know, people are like, oh, I've been listening since since Mike was on the podcast. Oh, they miss me. Yeah. <laughs> people love Mike. So anyway, thanks very much for uh, for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.